Romans 12, 1 through 3. Listen to the word of the Lord. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Okay. If you ask American Christians what worship is, most of us are going to say it's what we just finished doing with me and Anthony up on stage leading you in songs. But Paul says, present your bodies. He's talking to Jews who presented animal bodies constantly as their worship. They didn't come to a song service just to show up at church was costly. It's a big difference, big difference. But no more is our worship about presenting animals to be killed. Now our worship is presenting this human body right here, this one, this one. It's not a metaphor. It's literal. I'm literally offering this body to the Lord to be a place where he literally lives by the Spirit. This is my worship. Now our worship's not about a human, uh, I'm sorry, animals presented to God dead, but a human body presented alive. I'm saying what Jesus said, here I am, O God, I have come to do your will. This is worship. Not music. Music just sets a mood. That's all that does. I mean, if I go on a date with my wife, I might turn on some music, I might light some candles, but I'd be a fool to think that the candles and the music and the mood was the marriage. We, we're going to sing some songs, we're going we're to put the lights a certain way, we're going to cultivate an attitude in the room, but we'd be fools to think that's worship. Fools. That offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, which, by the way, is always costly. Sacrifice, by definition, is is costly. Costly. So, you know, I mean, like, man, like we're called to raise the dead. Some people don't even raise their hands. Like We're called to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We're afraid of what some other believer in the room is going to think about us if we show any emotion to the Lord. And it's why Hebrews talks about offering a sacrifice of praise. If you don't feel like it, then you're in luck. Now you can actually be biblical. You can offer a sacrifice of praise. If you're not a musical person and you don't get into that sort of thing and you experience God out in nature and not in church, well, you're in luck. Now you can be biblical. You can offer yourself as a sacrifice, as an offering. There's all kinds of dumb excuses we make for not worshiping. Again, I'm not talking about music. You can be as unmusical as someone who I won't name, who stood near me and bellowed out wrong notes, and the Lord was pleased. It's, it's not about the music, is it? The music's an opportunity. It's, it's the fostering of a time for real worship to happen. 
the worship of the Bible is about something of great value offered up to God so that it belongs to Him now and not me. The cost of the object is us saying, among other things, God, here it is, it's yours. I want you more than this. I trust in you more than this to be my security. I'm trusting you more than this to be my identity. I'm trusting you more than this to tell me who I am. I'm trusting you more than this. I want you more than this. You take it, God. You are my priority. I want you more than anything else. I open myself up to you fully, as fully as I know how anyway. I'm trusting you, not this, to be my life. That's Old Testament worship with the animals and the grains and the gold and all the stuff they brought. And that's New Testament worship with the bringing of our very selves and the offering of our very days and our lives and our prayers and our songs and our treasures and our finances and our families and our lost friends and our careers and our dreams and our hopes and our fears and our stories. Worship done correctly in the Old Covenant was very costly and that cost was a mercy. That cost was orienting the people to be able to be fruitful and faithful to God. See, without costly worship, we end up worshiping all kinds of other things that kill us. Unless the worship is costly, there's a treasure principle at work that where your treasure is, your heart and affections follow. What, what, a, person, what a man gives his time and attention and money to gets him and grows big in his heart. It's his God. That's his God. His God might be work. His God might be his reputation. His God might be his kids or his grandkids. His God might be that everyone thinks he's godly. And so worship has to be costly enough to cut through all those ego things, and some of those things look spiritual but aren't. And Old Testament worship done right was costly enough to be beneficial. Sometimes new covenant worship in our churches is so cheap and easy that it doesn't transform anything. Sometimes it's possible to think of worship not as offering our very selves, body, soul, and spirit, but rather just as a time in which we sing to God about His love, hoping that He might give us some nice feelings to lighten our mood and get us through the messes that we've made out of our lives by not arranging them under his rule. At the elder treat we did at the elder retreat, elder treat, it was a bit of a treat. At the elder retreat we did a bit of listening prayer and here's a paragraph from what the Lord said to me. He said there's a focus on music and preaching that isn't right. There's a focus on me. Here's what, I, here's, here's what I took him to mean. That after service, we often talk about what we felt and what we thought about how the worship went. I wonder if heaven is looking at the detuned guitar and the limp singing and the sparse numbers and saying, let's see who really came to worship. And the sermon where there was only one real good point made, 
and a lot of it was not that great. Let's see who stumbles over what wasn't great and misses the good thing that the Lord was really breathing on. Let's see who stumbles over the detuned guitar or singing too many new songs or not enough new songs. Good Lord have mercy, we have opinions. Some of us are so offended by, by how people drove slowly that we're out of a spirit of worship by the time we even arrive, especially with the kids squawking in the car. And who, who knows where Gabe's shoes are at? I don't know. <laughs> Actually, it's more likely to be Zion or Israel that loses the shoes. Gabe's pretty good about that. He just forgets to eat. There's a focus on musing and preaching that isn't right. And there's a focus on me that sets the world right. Do you hear what he's saying? I think what he's saying is this. We think we're spiritual when we have the discernment of what's right or wrong with the service. We may or may not be. Discernment's a real spiritual gift. How we steward that reveals whether or not we're handling that awareness correctly, right? But a lot of people have enough discernment, enough gift to sense what's going on in the room, but not enough maturity to get past that and get to Jesus. Some do. Some can sense what's wrong in the room spiritually, intercede about it, pray about it, deal with it, but not let it stop them from accessing the one who's not limited. He's not limited. He's not. There's nothing, no one else around you can stop your faith. There's a focus on music and, music and preaching that's not right. There's a focus on me that sets the world right. God said, my people must learn where your true strength lies and what true worship is. In other words, worship is meant to be a source of great strength. But if you're so fixated on what did or didn't happen in the mood, in the room, what the preacher did or didn't say, what the worship leader did not didn't do, what the team did or didn't do, there's a focus on me that sets the world right. My people must learn where your true strength lies and what true worship is. It's a focus on me. Music and preaching are simply tools. They're meant to put your focus on me. Me. But you turn from me to measuring how the music and preaching make you feel, and then you blame others for the fruit of your own lack of connection to me. Return to me. Return to me. Uh, I made this video this week, if, it's, if you guys are ready to, to show that. I feel so held. I feel God's presence. He's so near. He's so beautiful. And I am so held by love. It's not a denial of all that has happened. It's not a denial of loss or betrayals. It's not a denial of half-hearted worship, of missteps and stumbles. It's not a denial of challenges. It's not a denial of anything. But it's like even those things, they make his perfections shine even clearer. The light contrasts the darkness. If I have any gospel to offer the world, it's this love. Frank Laubach said that all he really has to offer the world is his experience of God up on Signal Hill. And I feel like I know exactly what he meant. What I don't mean is that my career is going well, or my marriage is perfect. What I don't mean is that my name's in lights, or I'm a success. I mean, I'm I'm grateful for life's many blessings, but that's not what I have to offer. That's not my light. My light is this. I am held by love. 
love before all things, love in all things, love after all things, and this love is personal and has personality. It's Abba, it's Jesus, it's Holy Spirit. I've sensed you since before I even knew you, and I sense you now. And I move to tears and awe and worship because at the heart of it all is you. Watchman Nee was wrong and my mom was right. You don't withhold your presence from us to teach us faith. Life itself tests our faith, which is our clear vision of you. And even in those times when my soul lost its grip on you, you never let go of me. And I've known seriously deep griefs but you've come in closer during each of them. There have been times when I've been as hard as a stone or as cold as steel, but you never held it against me. I've been distracted and worried by many things that don't matter, but you always just kept offering me the one thing that does. You've outlasted all your rivals. You've overcome all competitors, not by power and force of will, not by threats and punishments, not by shame and lecturing. You win by sheer superiority. Love's own virtues speak for themselves and need no defending. You win hearts without playing any games. You don't argue. You just lay down your life. You just put your heart on display. Your loudest sermons, they're not preached using words. Your loudest sermon was the cross. Even after your resurrection, you just kept right on preaching it. You held out your scarred hands to Thomas and said, Here, put your hands here. Feel this. Don't doubt anymore. Just believe. And to Peter you said, Do you love me? Feed my lambs. And to the crowds that one week earlier had shouted for your death, you appealed through Peter and said, Stop thinking like this and have another thought. Trust me for a change and times of refreshing will come. Love just keeps offering itself and that, that, that is your most persuasive indication. You really are better than anything else. And that's not just what I read in my Bible, it's what my experience confirms. And so on Sundays, when the music begins, this is what I'm responding to, not the mood in the room. I'm pressing past the crowds to see you. I'm not succumbing to some religious agenda to have my emotions stirred up so that we know we're alive. That's not what my mind is on when the music begins. No, it's more like this. When the music begins, it's like there's an alarm in my spirit that's calling for me and saying, it's time. It's time to wake up passion and wholeheartedly offer yourself back to the one who has wholeheartedly offered himself to you. What's on my mind when the music begins is this one who still seeks me, who's still on this eternal rescue, this love story for the ages, this is the one who is beckoning, come close. And I am held by love. Father, I ask that you would renew our minds, that we would, like Richard Kaufman shared this morning in Sunday School, that we would be about you, not ourselves, that our worship would be, would you say dog theology, not cat theology? (laughs) Cats are selfish, even though we love them, they knock everything off. Okay. Help us, God, to have costly worship that is transformative and brings us into contact with you because that's where the life is, God. We trust you, we want you, and we say yes to you. And God's people said, amen.
We would love to pray with you. During worship this morning, I just felt the presence of the Holy Spirit so strongly. Um, it, it was almost like he settled like a fog in the room. And I just heard him saying very clearly that he wants to settle something today in our hearts. He wants you to understand who he is and who you are. He is love and you are loved. And that's it. That settles it all. That settles everything. That settles your broken heart. That settles your troubled marriage. That settles your financial situations. He is love and you are loved. So be loved. Be whole in love today.